Amen. All right, Second Kings chapter 20. <coughs> I want to um, just ask a question uh, this morning as we proceed. And the question is, do you have a tunnel? Do you have a tunnel? Is the question I want to ask each of us personally this morning. And obviously we'll make context of that as we proceed. And, um, but some may ask, well, what do you mean by that? Because the, scripturally speaking, as we will discover, it has great significance in relation to uh, the Christian life. But the story we're going to look at and what we're going to consider relates uh, first and foremost primarily to the nation of Israel and uh, in particular during the reign of King Hezekiah. And, but as we discover this truth in Scripture and other truths that we'll consider, we'll realise that the application and its fulfilment relates obviously to Christ and to the Christian um, uh, themselves in which we draw such uh, wonderful truths and realities from the Old Testament because all of these things uh, point to Christ and they all have their fulfilment and application in the Christ, to the Christian and in our walk and relationship with God. And so the issue of the, or the question that we're going to put is do you have a tunnel uh, has great significance to you and I as we sit here this morning. And so we're talking about Hezekiah's tunnel and water pool that we will see uh, there in the, Christi- oh, sorry, in the Old Testament and also how it relates to us as Christians. But the truth is as well, we, we read about the uh, stories of the Old Testament and we find uh, constantly there's, there's war, there's battles, there's opposition and, uh, that's constantly going on. The nation of Israel is uh, uh, vulnerable and extremely vulnerable at times and even uh, uh, over t- overtaken as we see, as we read the Old Testament. But all of these things... Again, they have spiritual truth that attached to them and they teach us something and we know even we are in a war as Christians. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and, and, and uh, powers and spiritual hosts of wickedness. And these, uh, uh, so therefore we constantly have to be vigilant. We also have to be mindful of these things because we have an enemy who's, uh, who waits for an opportune time. Who see, the Bible says who, ra- who, who roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so in light of that reality we have to be vigilant, we have to be sober so the t- Bible teaches us and more than that as we will see, we need ourselves to have a, a tunnel just as Hezekiah did and the children of Israel did uh, here in this portion of text. But what I also can draw from this is that despite, it doesn't matter what the enemy throws at us, amen, the Bible says that the enemy shall not outwit us. And, um, and if we have a tunnel, it doesn't matter what the devil throws at us, amen, we will always uh, draw from the water of life. So let's read. In 2 Kings, chapter 20, verse... Well, we'll just read verse, start with verse 20 and we'll move around from here. But speaking about King Hezekiah, and it says, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might, and how he made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And so here we have 
a, just a statement and a note that is picked up and spoken of in other uh, scriptures as well, as we'll see. But King Hezekiah was a righteous king for the most part and, uh, and as long as they obeyed God, there was a blessing that related and was upon uh, the children of Israel and God made provision for them and protected them from their enemies. That's how it always worked there in the Old Testament. But what we're noting here is one of the works and mighty works that was accomplished during the period of King Hezekiah. The scripture says is that he made a pool and a tunnel in order to bring water into the city of David. Now this is of great significance. See the question is, is why did Hezekiah do it? And uh, we're going to examine that in just a moment but what I wanted to make note and just point out as well is um, uh, as I was uh, studying this, it's, uh, it's been revealed that they have actually discovered Hezekiah's tunnel. Have you been there, Colm, when you went to Jerusalem? And so anyone that may have, uh, you know, you can visit this particular place because it was discovered some 100, 150 years ago. And uh, it, uh, it's still there and it's cut. It's a fascinating thing that, uh, to observe. I watched some video clips on it and just made some observations about it. Um, but here it is, 150 years ago, they discovered this particular tunnel and um, also they, uh, I think it was back in 2004 only, they discovered this particular man-made pool and they stumbled across that as well. In actual fact, the story goes that uh, they had some sewage problems in the city of Jerusalem and so they had to go down and you know, dig through and get into a certain section and whenever they have to do that, they always have to have archaeologists and you know, all the people that are present because they're always you know, touching and unearthing things and all of a sudden, they discovered this particular pool and there it was and with the tunnel and exactly as the scriptures had said. And so, again, this, uh, these things can be viewed uh, even in the current time in which we live. And so here it is, but here it was, built back in the day of Hezekiah, the king. But what's also interesting, this particular man-made pool is what we know in the scriptures as the pool of Siloam. And so you would have read about it. If you've read the New Testament, you may see the references, the various references to it. And so you have the Hezekiah's tunnel and this man-made pool that the scripture is referring to is the pool of Siloam and we'll get to that a little bit more later. But this particular tunnel was 533 metres and uh, there was the Gihon Springs that are up on the top of the hill and so they were outside of the city. And so Hezekiah uh, had determined with the people that they had to cut a tunnel through the rock, right through the rock and it was 533 metres down and they diverted, they, they shut down the springs of Gihon and they directed the water to flow right through this particular tunnel and out and into the city of David and down to the bottom section uh, there and this is where they created the man-made pool, the pool of Siloam and there was the fresh water in which they could bathe, uh, drink or whatever the need and case was and it was used for various reasons but this was, the, uh, this was it and the water flowed. Now what was the purpose of this? And it served a number of purposes but the primary purpose was this, it was to protect the water supply of the children of Israel. It was to protect the water supply 
of the city of, of Jerusalem in that time because they were vulnerable to their enemies. And more than that, Hezekiah was mindful of, uh, of the king of Assyria who, wanted to, uh, who was planning an attack on the city of David, uh, city, sorry, city of Jerusalem there. And so in, uh, to take that initiative, he realized that in any, in any battle, and in, uh, what they would do is they would come and they, the first thing that they would do is they would block the, in, to besiege the city, they would block the food supply and shut down the water supply. So Hezekiah and the people, having prospered by God, uh, created this particular tunnel to divert the waters. And so when uh, the king of Assyria, had, or the, the people of Assyria had come, they were unable to uh, besiege them and stop this water supply, probably not knowing it even existed. And so uh, that is what we, what we see and that was one of the strategies that they had employed. What was also interesting is this particular tunnel, 533 metres, was hand-carved by the children of Israel themselves. They didn't have the big cat, you know, you know, the, you know the big machinery of today. It, it was hand-carved. And in 1880, when the uh, Turkish discovered the, um, uh, the, the tunnel itself, they found an inscription in Hebrew, and it was cut out and taken to Turkey, apparently, and, uh, and it told them how and it, it, was, it was done, and it was with these implements and uh, axes and hammers, and it was just chiseled through 533 metres. But you see, even again, that teaches us something as we'll see in relation to our own walk with God. Now, in, if you can turn to Second Chronicles in chapter 32, you'll begin to see, let's, let's just touch on this and just to highlight it a little further in, in verse 3. And so this is again about the prosperity of, of uh, Hezekiah and the children of Israel. And um, he says he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city and they helped him. Thus the people gathered together who stopped up all the springs and the brook that ran through the land saying, why should the king of Assyria come and find such water? That was the reason they did it. And he strengthened himself, built up the wall that was broken, raised it up to, uh, to the towers and built another wall outside. And so again, that's symbolic and Sean touched upon that in a men's meeting about the walls. And uh, he repaired the millow in the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. And he set military captains over them and the people gathered to the... Uh, together to him in the open square of the city gate and gave them encouragement saying be strong and courageous do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria nor before all the multitude that is with him for there are more with us than with him and so with him is an arm of flesh but with us is the Lord our God to help us to fight our battles and the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah the king of Judah so you get the, you're getting the picture here they had diverted the water, they were strengthened, they had trusting in God and they're putting their confidence in God. In verse 30 of the same, um, in chapter 32 it says again, then this same Hezekiah also stopped the water outlet of Upper Gihon and brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah prospered in all of his works. You see, prospered, that's, 
That's what we want, amen? Not prosperity in, this, in, the, in the current climate as we know it, but prosperity in terms of the richness of life that we have in Christ. That we would prosper in Him, amen? And this is what we are talking about. So, again, all of this, what does it represent? What does this water speak of? Well, we all know it's self-explanatory, I'm sure, but this, the water this morning is the Holy Spirit Himself. Hallelujah. The spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus. We are talking about the water of life, Christ himself and the Holy Spirit that is within us. Amen. This fountain, as Jesus said to the woman at the well, this, that will flow and rivers of living water. Hallelujah. As he says in John 7. So here we have all these references to the Holy Spirit. And the application to the Christian this morning is evident and self-explanatory, but the truth is, is, is do we have a tunnel? Do we have a tunnel? Because we have to have a tunnel. Because the Bible says that the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. Don't think that none of us are not a target. Don't think that the enemy somehow doesn't want to undermine your walk with God that doesn't want to cause destruction and disarray and disorder and deception in our lives. And so it is imperative that we as Christians have that source of life. Jesus himself said, I I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And it's this abundance, it's this prosperity, it's being prospered in the Lord, it's being rich in Him, amen, that comes through the water of life, that comes from the fact that we too have a tunnel. See, the reality is, is this world may have wells, but those wells will leave us thirsty, amen? And more than that, as we know, if you live the Christian life, there are trials, there are temptations, there are sufferings, there are experiences that will come upon us and it is imperative, it's critical, crucial that you have a tunnel. You have to have it. You're going to have, and we have to carve our own tunnel in the Christian life. And this relates to building our own relationship with God. This relates to our own walk with the Lord in which we ourselves seek Him, in which we ourselves read the Word of God, in which we ourselves draw near to Him in prayer. The Bible says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And so it's in, it's in this context that we find as Christians that we are to carve this tunnel, that we are to build our relationship with God because nobody can build it for us. You have to carve a tunnel. You have to build a relationship with God. You have to have a water supply in your life that you can draw upon and that is Christ. Jesus speaks about a river that flows from the throne. In Revelation chapter 22, you're familiar with it, the river of life. In verse 17, the Bible says, Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Whoever desires. See, you have to have that desire. You have to have that will. You have to have that want and that passion and desire and hunger and thirst for God. And in doing so, Jesus says, and the Bible tells us, come and take of the water of life freely. 
We quote that as uh, in Revelation, but we also understand in Isaiah 12, we find the words uh, uh, with joy draw from uh, verse 3, I think it is. In Isaiah 12, it says, um, uh, with joy draw water from the wells of salvation. That's what we do, amen? And that's how the Christian life is sustained. And so the spiritual truth surrounding Hezekiah's tunnel is self-evident. It's a secret supply of water. It's a secret supply of life. It is streams in the desert. Hallelujah. And as we, as in our pilgrimage throughout this world, amen, we're not feeding uh, off uh, the things of this world, but we are drawing upon Christ himself as our sustenance, Christ himself as our source of life. So it's absolutely essential this morning that we have a tunnel. But let's look a little further because it wasn't just a tunnel that Hezekiah cut out and built. It was a pool, the pool of Siloam. And this is interesting because when you look at this pool of Siloam, what does it teach us? There are two instances in the Gospel of John. In chapter 9, you can turn there first. And we find that Jesus himself is healing a blind man. And we'll be familiar with the story, John chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So here we have it, the scripture is giving us this story, but it's interesting and as Jesus, as he goes about performing this particular miracle, he, he puts the mud on his eyes and he tells him to go to the pool Siloam and wash. Now why would Jesus have done that? Well, it says in the scripture that the word Siloam means sent and Jesus is specifically says, I must work the works of him who sent me. So when he sends the man to the pool of Siloam and gets him to wash in the waters, those waters, amen, are symbolic of himself, Christ. And we see this later, as we'll identify in just a moment, but so this word Siloam means sent and Christ has been sent. And so here it is, he doesn't, uh, uh, this blind man can't see Christ, but in going to the waters and, see, and the waters seeing, and then he sees Christ, his, the connection is clear that the waters are Christ himself. And we see this further uh, revealed to us in chapter 7 of the Gospel of John. So if you just go back. See, Jesus, uh, what's happening here in this particular chapter is the children of Israel are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And 
There's a particular, well, there, we'll go into the detail of it in a moment, but if we just look first at verse 37, there's that famous statement of Jesus. Because Jesus said these words, on the last day, that is now the, the Feast of Tabernacles, on the last day of this particular feast, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so here it is. We know this scripture. Hallelujah. Rivers of living water. Jesus himself is making a statement and it is interesting because the waters of the pool of Siloam are symbolic of Christ and this is the connection that Jesus is making because what would happen during the Feast of Tabernacles is that on a daily basis over the period of seven days they, uh, in the morning the priest would go to the pool of Siloam and he would gather some water in a basin and he would travel uh, up into the mountain through the tunnel, Hezekiah's tunnel. And, uh, 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 even, and so up to the, to the point and in doing so then they would pour out the, upon the altar and, uh, uh, and, and offer unto the Lord uh, in this way. And so this was something that was taking place and as they were, were doing this, uh, this feast of tabernacles was a celebratory, a celeb- a celebratory feast. If you, I'm in a time of celebration, how's that? Get the words out, a bit of a tongue twister. Sorry, Rona, I tried. <laughs> but you see, uh, it was during this period and it was during this time of celebration that the children of Israel were excited when that water was being gathered from the pool of Siloam. And they were uh, actually, for in actual fact, uh, a Jewish, in the Jewish writings, it says, He who has not seen the rejoicing at the water drawing ceremony has never seen rejoicing in his life. That's what the Jewish account of this time says. So when they were drawing water, from the, when the priest was drawing that water from the pool of Siloam, the people were, there was music, there was celebration, there was rejoicing, there was excitement. Amen. And so, and so the, and if you if you have never seen something, they write it was something to behold. The people were in a frenzy, if you want to call it. They were a rejoicing and uh, uh, in relation to the symbolism uh, of this offering unto the Lord, the water. So Jesus, on the last day, on that great day of the feast, as they for the last time are gathering that water, Jesus stands up and he cries out. And he says those words when in the context, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. As the, he who believes as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so all of a sudden, he's drawing their attention to himself. And he says, I am the water of life. I am those waters of, I have been sent by God. It's a pool of Siloam. And so he's drawing the attention and they are supposed to see Christ in that. But they can't, we know that they don't. 
But you see, we do, hallelujah. And so why can't we rejoice, amen? When we come into the house of God, if, it were, if, if, in, the, if in the Jewish festival it was a time of rejoicing and celebration, then how come when we come into the presence of God, can't we rejoice? Can't we get excited, amen? And say, praise the Lord, things of that sort, of course we can. We can express our emotion. We can be zealous. We can be joyful. We can be excited in the presence of God because we are drinking from the river of life. And I'm not talking emotionalism. I'm talking about joy of the Lord that expresses itself emotionally. In actual fact, during that time, uh, they would sing when they would gather the water from the pool of Siloam, they would sing from Isaiah 12, that particular hymn, as they would with joy draw from the wells of salvation. So they could, they'd practice all these things and they couldn't see that the fulfilment was right before their eyes. Here's the, here, is, here is the water of life. Here is him who has been sent. Draw it from me. So, we see Christ, life and life more abundantly. You know, I couldn't help reflect of, um, uh, upon Sam last week when he, he said he was uh, reading his Bible and Jude got up and said, what are you doing? And Sam said, I'm checking my inheritance. <laughs> but you see, in other words, what he's saying is, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing water. Amen. He's, uh, that the river is flowing. He's drawing from the tunnel that is carved and he's drinking from the pool of Siloam. This is in effect what's happening. And so that's why this morning we, we, we have to have a tunnel. We have to be able to draw on the waters of life because we're going to need it throughout the years of our Christian pilgrimage. You know, one of the great things I've observed over the years of being a Christian and especially as a young Christian, was to meet old men of God who, who you just knew had a tunnel. You, just, you knew that they were drinking water and you could see it in their countenance. You could see it in their life. There was a richness. There was a, there was a fullness of life that was manifesting in them. And, you know, that wasn't just automatic. It just didn't happen because I've met Christians and they're over the longevity of years and they're like this. And, uh, you know, like Carla said, you can get bitter. Things happen. And uh, if you don't have a tunnel and you're not drawing upon those waters, you will shrivel up. You will be affected. You will end up like that and grumpy. But that's a bad testimony. Can you say amen? Because as the years go on, the richer it becomes. As the years go on, that water is a constant supply that brings refreshing into, the, into the, the heart. And yes, that doesn't mean that we don't have to go through trials and experiences and testings and all that comes our way. But praise the Lord, amen, we're constantly uh, drinking from the waters of life. And that's what the scripture's talking about. Men that have been filled with the Holy Spirit. So is that our experience this morning? You see, is that our experience? Can, as we sit here, 
can you say, yes, I have a tunnel. Yes, I'm drinking from those waters. Because you have to have a tunnel this morning. And not only that, as I was just studying this, I was reflecting upon a few things. And we made note earlier that the children of Israel, when they prospered, and they had the blessing of God, when they were obeying God, they had the walls of Jerusalem, the waters, the secret tunnel, all those things that teach us about the prosperity and blessing of God upon our lives. But you see, when Israel disobeyed God, those wars would be, you know, God would allow the enemy to overcome. The wars would be broken down, uh, you know, and the water supply. And we know that this happened in, in Jerusalem, don't we? We understand that they eventually under the, uh, Babel, under Babylon, through King Nebuchadnezzar, through their disobedience and had God had warned them. And so they went in and the city was destroyed. The walls were broken down. The waters were just, you know, look, it was covered. And the waters were stopped. And so this can happen in the Christian life. People can, uh, for various reasons, whether it's disobedience to God through sin or whether it's just uh, um, struggles, and some of the struggles of life where the enemy is trying to uh, work against you. But you see, in the book of Nehemiah, we find an interesting reference to this particular pool. And in Nehemiah, you know the story, because Nehemiah is about what? Rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Ezra re-established the worship of the temple. And then Nehemiah uh, saw that their vulnerability to the enemy, so he, uh, he went back in to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And all these have spiritual meaning to the Christian. But in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 15, it says these words, Shalom, the son of Colhozeh, whatever, leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate, he built it, covered it, hung its doors and its, and its bolts and bars and repaired the wall of the pool of Shelah by the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, leader of the half of the district of Bethzur, made repairs as far as the place in front of the tombs of David to the man-made pool as far as the house of the mighty. And so sometimes there may be need to have some repair. Can you say amen? This is true. For whatever reason, it may is, is required, but that, the, the, those waters was, have been stopped. Those, that, that tunnel had been stopped up. The, the pool itself has, has been uh, destroyed and there's need of repair. But thank God... God is in the business of repairing. Can you say amen? Nehemiah means God is a God of comfort. And so God sees us and if we come to the cross, amen, everything can get put right. The waters can flow again and that pool can be restored and you can freely, amen, drink from the waters of life. And so there is hope. There is restoration if we will come to the cross, if we will repent, if we will set our heart towards the Lord and draw near to God, then God will cleanse us, God will forgive and those waters can flow again and you can know what it was to draw from those wells of salvation. Like it was, you know, why don't I have the joy of the Lord like I had when I was first saved? You can, you should. God wants to give it to you if you've lost it for whatever reason. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, 
Repent therefore and be converted and times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing, the fresh flow of water, the water of life will flood your heart and fill you with the life of God. And so let us this morning ponder these things. We want to prosper and to prosper you have to have a tunnel. And a tunnel is not just going to, you know, the tunnel just doesn't come. You have to carve it. You have to build a relationship with God. It's not enough just to live off, you know, uh, even uh, I say this for, for Christians uh, that, uh, or, and people that have grown up in, in, in the church. Your parents have carved a tunnel. You have to carve a tunnel. Through that stone, you have to draw near to God. You have to build a relationship. You have to read your Bible. You have to pray and draw near. And all of a sudden, you'll begin to, to feed in the same way. And in doing so, we shall be prospered and blessed in the Lord this morning. Amen.